All right, well, we're there in Luke chapter number 9. And of course, we are going through this uh, series called Journey with Jesus, and we're doing a verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Luke. And we are finishing up Luke chapter 9 uh, tonight. And of course, this morning, if you were with us, uh, we went through Luke chapter 9, verses 46 through 56, and we saw three arguments that the disciples were having. They were arguing with fellow believers. They were arguing with other believers. They were arguing with unbelievers. And uh, tonight, as we finish up chapter 9, we'll be looking at verses 57 through 62, we also see here three different conversations that are had. But this is not with the disciples. This is with uh, candidates for disciples. And what we have is we have three conversations. We have three candidates. And these three candidates give Jesus three conditions in regards to uh, discipleship. And, and what we see here is that Jesus has three conversations with three different people who either are offering to follow him or that he is giving them the opportunity to follow. And in these three conversations, we have three different individuals who ended up not following Jesus, and we see three reasons why they did not follow Jesus. And, and just by way of introduction, I, I've made this point in the past, but I just want to make, make it again. When we're talking about following Christ, being a follower of Christ or a disciple, uh, this is not salvation. Salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. But once you are saved, God wants you to follow uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to follow in his footsteps. We are to become disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, tonight in our passage, what we see is three reasons why People don't follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you're there in Luke chapter 9. Look down at verse number 57. Notice what the Bible says. It says, And it came to pass as they, and the they there is referring to Jesus and his disciples, went in the way. Now, if you remember, uh, Jesus is making his way to Jerusalem, and uh, they are making their way down to Jerusalem. And by the way, they're having different uh, conversations and and even doing different ministries uh, as they go. The Bible says, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Now, here we have the first man, and this man uh, gives an offer. He makes an offer to the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes to Jesus, and he says, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. So we have the, uh, the, 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 this man making an offer to uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he's saying, I will follow thee whithersoever. The word whithersoever means to whatever place. He says, whithersoever thou goest, he says, wherever you go, wherever you're going, I will follow you. That is the declaration being made. But I want you to notice that we have this man who gives this offer. He offers himself to Jesus Christ, and praise God for that. But Jesus, of course, being God in the flesh and knowing the hearts of all men, understands something about this man. And Jesus responds uh, with an obstacle that he thinks this man's going to have a problem with. Look, 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 look there at Luke 9.58. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Now, just for sake of context, go back to Luke 9. You're there in chapter 9, but look up to verse 51. We talked about this this morning, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but just to give you the context, Luke 9, 51. The reason that Jesus says to this man, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head, is because he's telling him, like, look, foxes have a den. They have somewhere they're going to spend the night tonight. Birds have nests. They have somewhere they're going to spend the night tonight. But he says, the son of man, referring to himself, he says, I don't even know where I'm going to lay my head tonight. He said, I don't, I, I don't have anywhere uh, to, to sleep tonight. And of course, we know that Jesus would often, as he traveled, you know, even from his birth, remember, we're told in the nativity story that there was no room in the inn. And he was not allowed in the inn. And here we see this again in Luke 9.51. The Bible says, And it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up. He steadfastly set his faith to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And they went and entered into a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him. So he sends people ahead of him to get things ready because he's going to spend the night, possibly a few days in Samaria, 
on his way as a pit stop, on his way to Jerusalem, verse 53, and they, the Samaritans, did not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. And of course, this morning we talked about the reason that the Samaritans were against Jerusalem. They rejected Jerusalem and the temple as a place of worship. And when Jesus said, when the disciples told them that Jesus was coming to spend some time in Samaria, but that he was on his way to Jerusalem, they chose to not receive him because his face was as though he would go to Jerusalem. So Jesus was planning on spending the night in Samaria, and Samaria canceled his uh, reservation and said, you're not allowed to, uh, to stay here. And for that reason, Jesus is looking at this disciple because this is all happening within the same context. He's traveling to Samaria. He gets told, you're not allowed to stay in Samaria. We're not going to uh, host you in Samaria. He's trying to figure out where he's going to sleep, and then this man shows up and says, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. He makes this offer to the Lord Jesus Christ, but then we see the obstacle that Jesus puts forth. And something I want you to understand about the next few stories as we go through this passage, it may seem to you like Jesus is laying these roadblocks in front of these people, and he's, he's, it seems like he's telling them, hey, here's why you can't serve me. But you need to understand the reason that Jesus is doing this is because Jesus is God, and Jesus knows these individuals, and he knows that there's reasons why they actually will not be able to serve him, will not be able to follow him. Even though this man makes this declaration, he offers himself and he says, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus says, hey, I appreciate your offer, but there's an obstacle to you following me. And he says, the obstacle is this, that foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And Jesus is looking at this man and he's pretty much saying to him, you're not going to be able to handle the fact that we're not staying at the Holiday Inn. You're not going to be able to handle the fact that we don't have a place to stay, that we're going to sleep under the stars, that we don't have a nice, comfortable bed, that we don't have a roof over our heads. He's telling this man, the reason that you cannot follow me is because of the fact that I don't know where I'm going to lay my head tonight, and you can't handle that. Now, keep your place there in Luke chapter 9. That's our text for tonight. But go with me, if you would, to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In, towards the end of the New Testament, you've got these T books. They're all clustered together. 1st, 2nd Thessalonians, 1st, 2nd Timothy, Titus. Get to 2nd Timothy chapter 2. And if you would, put a ribbon or a bookmark or something there because we're going to leave 2nd Timothy. We're going to come back to it. I'd like you to be able to get to it quickly. 2nd Timothy chapter 2. But in this story where Jesus, this man, I mean, this man says, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. You would think that, you know, Jesus would just jump all over that and say, great, Welcome to the team. Come on board. But because Jesus knows this man, he says, look, there's a big obstacle to you actually following me, to you actually being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, what's the obstacle? It's the fact that he says, I'm not, I don't have, I'm not staying at the Comfort Inn. I don't have a comfortable place to, to lay my head tonight. And Jesus says, you can't follow me because of that. And in, in this story, we see the first reason. I'm going to give you three reasons tonight as to why people don't follow the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the first reason why people don't follow, why people don't become disciples, why people don't... I'm not saying they don't get saved. Many people get saved. Of course, many people don't get saved. But it's not just that they get saved. I'm talking about the people that got saved and never actually started walking with the Lord Jesus Christ, following the Lord Jesus Christ, living the Christian life, doing the things. Say, what are the reasons that people do not follow the Lord Jesus Christ? Here's reason number one, discomfort. People will often not follow the Lord Jesus Christ because of discomfort, because they're not willing to be discomforted, because they're not willing to be uncomfortable. Because following Jesus is often not a comfortable thing to do. See, this man said, I want to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus says, well, are you sure you want to follow me? Because I don't even know where we're spending the night tonight. And then you'll notice that the very next verse, verse 59, says, and he said unto another. So you say, well, what happened? You know, this guy says, I will follow you with a storm without ghost. He says, I don't know where I'm spending the night tonight. And then the next verse, he's talking to somebody else. You say, what happened to that guy? He left. The conversation ended. Jesus says, 
The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man, uh, he says, have not where to lay his head. And then the conversation is over. The guy's like, oh, well, in that case, you know, forget that. I don't want to be uncomfortable. Discomfort is a reason that people will often not follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Are you there in 2 Timothy chapter 2? Look at verse 3. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. See, Following Jesus requires you being uncomfortable. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, notice what the Bible says. Thou therefore. Notice what, what Paul says to Timothy and says to all of us. Thou therefore. Notice these words. Endure hardness. Endure hardness, notice, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. What does it mean to endure hardness? It means to endure hardship. It means that it's going to be difficult. Look, you say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. Okay, we'll realize this, that if you become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, that means that you are a soldier. He is the captain. You're engaged in a war. It's called spiritual warfare. And if you're going to be a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to be able to endure hardness. You need to be able to endure hardship. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. See, you don't join the military and say, well, I want to go fight for my country and then get deployed somewhere and, and, and expect to be put in some nice four-star hotel. As a soldier, you must endure hardness. Right. You must realize that you're going to probably sleep on the floor. You're going to sleep in a tent. You're going to sleep, uh, sl uh, sleep in, a, in a ditch somewhere. You're, you're going to endure hardness. That's what it means to be a soldier. A good soldier will endure hardness. And here we're told, look, the Christian life, I'm not talking about salvation. Please understand this. Salvation is easy. Discipleship is hard. Salvation is easy. Sanctification is hard. And Paul says, hey, we must endure hardness. You learn in 2 Timothy 2 in verse 3. Look down at verse number 9. Notice what Paul says. He says, wherein I suffer trouble. Paul says the Christian life has brought me nothing but trouble. He says, I suffer trouble. Now, Paul was not an evildoer. He was not suffering trouble because of anything bad that he had done, because of his own criminal life or, or sinful life. He says, but I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even unto bonds. He says, look, I'm, I'm even in prison. He, and he's talking about the fact that he's bound. He says, even unto bonds. But then he says this, but the word of God is not bound. And he says, look, I'm suffering trouble, and I'm here to tell you something. The Christian life, I'm not talking about salvation. Salvation is easy. So the, the, the beautiful thing about salvation is that Jesus did all the work. Amen. He did all the work. I don't have to work. It's just a gift. I just received the gift. There's nothing easier in the world than receiving a gift. Amen. But being a disciple and being a follower, the reason, the reason that so few people actually follow the Lord Jesus Christ with their lives is because of discomfort. It's because of discomfort. See, there is a discomfort that comes with walking with Jesus. You're there in 2 Timothy 2. Look at verse down, look at, look down at verse number 11. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 11. Notice what the Bible says. It is a faithful saying, for if we be dead with him, if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Look at verse 12. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And again, these verses are not talking about salvation. They're talking about discipleship. He says, if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. Keep your place right there in First Timothy, or excuse me, Second Timothy chapter 2. We're going to come back to it, but uh, go, go back to Luke. See, discipleship is a painful process. It's hard. That's why you have to endure hardship as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus already talked about this. This is all in Luke 9 within the same context. We talked about it uh, last week, Luke chapter 9. Look, look, at, look up at verse 23. Luke 9, 23. Notice what the Bible says. And, it, and he said to them all, if any man will come after me. What does that mean? That means that they are following him, right? That's what the guy said. I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Jesus says, if any man will come after me, 
If anybody's going to become a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if anybody's going to become a disciple of mine, he says, here are the terms of discipleship. Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. See, discipleship requires discomfort because discipleship requires denial and it requires death. It requires you to die. That's why Paul said, if we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. If we suffer, we shall also reign. And I spent time with, on this uh, last week, so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but this is something taught in Scripture, that if you, you say, I want to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, okay, well, you're going to have to deny yourself and you're going to have to die. You're going to have to take up your cross daily, the Bible says. I am crucified with Christ, Paul said. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's discipleship. Discipleship is that every day I wake up and I say, I am dead to self. I am dying to self. I am denying myself. And I'm going to allow Jesus to live through me. And you say, is that worth it? Of course it's worth it. Amen. But it's hard. If we be dead with him, we shall also live with him. That's why it's worth it. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. That's why it's worth it. Referring to rewards. And the fact that we're going to be able to uh, live in eternity with these rewards that we live for Christ. But see, there's a discomfort in walking with Jesus. I mean, doesn't dying kind of sound uncomfortable? I mean, right? It doesn't seem like, and praise God, I haven't really been around a lot of people who have uh, died. If you have, please don't admit anything to me, all right? But, you know, it just seems to me like dying is probably something that's not comfortable. You know, and obviously, I understand people die in their sleep and all that. I'm just saying, like, look, denying yourself, telling yourself no, saying, I want to do this, but I'm not going to do it because it's not pleasing to Jesus Christ. These are hard things. So why, why do people not follow Jesus? Because they're not willing to be discomforted. See, the, there's a discomfort of walking with Jesus, but there's also, go back to 2 Timothy, go, go to chapter 4. Not only is there a discomfort of walking with Jesus, but there's also a discomfort of, of being identified with Jesus. Right. 2 Timothy chapter 4, look at verse 5. 2 Timothy chapter 4, ver, verse 5. Notice what Paul told Timothy. He said, but watch thou in all things. Notice these two words. Endure afflictions. In 2 Timothy 2, 3, he said, endure hardness. Hardness is hardships. He says, this is going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. He says, but watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. See, as Christians, not only, here's what you need to understand. Not only is living for God difficult, but then when we do that and we identify ourselves as Christians or identify ourselves with Christ, that's difficult too. That comes with afflictions. That comes with hardness. Go to Hebrews chapter 13. You're there in 2 Timothy. You're going to go past Titus, Philemon, into the book of Hebrews. 2 Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. You say, is discipleship worth it? Let me let you in on a little secret of the Bible secret of, of, of just the laws that God has put into our universe. Everything that's difficult is worth doing. Amen. You say, I want a life that's easy. You're going to have a life of failure. Because look, anything that comes easy to the flesh, anything that just I want to, look, you think, I, I want to sleep in till, till noon every day. That's what I, that's what I want to do, you know. But are, are you gonna? Are, am I gonna be a successful pastor if I'm just sleeping into noon every day? You know, you say, what do you have to do to be successful? You have to get up early. Amen. But here's the thing about getting up early: it's hard. Your flesh doesn't like it. You're, you're, you, you, you see, people don't understand. Oftentimes, you know, the Christian life. Look, the Christian life is difficult. Now, I'm not trying to. I, I'm just trying to help you understand something. We ought to rejoice that we get to serve Jesus. There's joy in the Lord. But understand something, it's hard. 
And, and, and hard has become this four-letter word where whenever you tell somebody something's hard, it's like, well, I don't want to do it. Hey, look, when somebody tells you something's hard, you ought to decide, I want to do that. I want to endure hardness as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to get up and do the difficult things. I want to get up and do the hard things. I don't want to be weak. I don't want to be lazy. I don't want to be comfortable. I want to do that which is difficult to do. Hey, I love the fact that uh, when Elijah was getting ready to leave, he told Elisha, what would you like to be done for you? And Elisha said, I want a double portion of thy spirit. And Elijah said, thou hast asked a hard thing. He says, nevertheless. He says, look, you've asked for something hard, but God's going to give it to you. Look, I want to be the type of Christian that asks for hard things. I want to be the type of Christian that, that, that endures hardness, that, that enters into uh, uh, affliction, that identifies himself with the Lord Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, look at verse 12. Hebrews 13 and verse 12. Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood. Notice these words. Suffered without the gate. See, when we're followers of Jesus Christ, that means that we're following in his footsteps. You say, well, why does it have to be hard? Because it was hard for him. Because he suffered without the gate. The idea here is that he was rejected of the people. They took him out of the, out of the city and they crucified him on a cross on a mountain outside of the gate. He suffered without the gate. But notice what the writer of Hebrews says. He says, Wherefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, that's you and I, praise God, suffered without the gate. And then here's what the writer of Hebrews says, verse 13. Let us go therefore unto him. Don't miss it. Without the camp. Bearing his reproach. See, if you're going to identify yourself with Jesus, you're going to have to identify yourself without the camp. It's a life of reproach. It's a life of difficulty, of affliction. Endure affliction. Suffer. Die to self. It's not, it's not an easy life. It's a fulfilling life, but it's not an easy life. But here's the thing. An easy life is an unfulfilling life. It's worth it's worth raising your kids for the Lord. It's worth having a marriage centered on Christ. It's worth living a life of purpose and living for something greater than yourself. It's worth not being lazy. It's worth showing up to church Sunday night. It's worth showing up to church Wednesday night. It's worth getting up, it's worth getting up early and reading the Bible and spending time in prayer with God. Hey, it's not easy, but it's worth it. But you know why people don't do it? Because of discomfort. Because there's a discomfort with walking with Jesus and there's a discomfort in being identified with Jesus. It's hard. So this guy says, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And by the way, be careful about making all these you know, statements before you actually have done anything. I wish I could tell you how many times people have came to this church and, and just they're like, you know, after a service, they're just like, this is great. This is amazing. This is my church or my pastor. I'm going to die with you. And I never see them again. I mean, that has literally happened multiple times. People are like, I'm going to just become this. Gonna, I'm going to follow you, and I'm going to help you build this church, and I'm going to die here. And I'm like, what's your name? I'm like, uh, it's okay. Don't worry about <laughs> it. It's like, never see them again. I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. He says, okay, well, uh, here's the thing. We don't even know where we're sleeping tonight. He's like, okay, well, let me know when you got your reservations. You know why people don't follow Jesus? Because of discomfort. Because they're not willing to toughen up. You say, it's hard. Toughen up. Amen. Endure hardness. Suffer. Get some, get some strength. Get, get a backbone. Become a person of character and integrity. Look, having integrity is hard. You know why people lie? Because it's easy to lie. Because having integrity and saying, no, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to lie about that. No, I'm, I'm going to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. That's hard. So you know what the world does? You know what everybody else does? They just do whatever comes easy. They lie because it's easy. 
They're lazy because it's, it's easy. They don't stand for anything because it's easy. Jesus says, you want to follow me? You better get used to discomfort. You better get used to things being hard. You better get yourself in the right mind frame and realize that you have to endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So we see reason number one why people don't follow Jesus. What is it? Discomfort. But there's a second reason in our story here that we see why people don't follow Jesus. Go back to Luke chapter 9 if you would. Look down at verse 59. The first guy, the first guy, I will follow thee where there's over thou goest. The foxes have dens, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And it's like, see ya. Why didn't he serve God? Why didn't he follow Jesus? Because of discomfort. Notice the second guy. In Luke 9.59, the Bible says, And he, Jesus, said unto another. So in this instance, now this person is not offering himself, but now Jesus is actually going to someone and offering them a position to follow him. I mean, think about this. And he said unto another, follow me. What an opportunity. I mean, think about the fact, this guy who you don't know his name and you and I will never know his name, was offered Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior of all the world, God in the flesh, walked up to this guy and said the same thing that he said to Peter. You, you know who Peter is. He said to James. You know who James is. He said to John. You know who John is. He said to Matthew. I mean, these are the, the pillars of the faith. The apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ were men that Jesus walked up to them and he said, follow me. And their response was, the Bible tells us, straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. And because of that decision, because they decided when Jesus said, follow me, they're like, sure boss. They forsook their nets and followed him. They forsook their jobs and followed him. Because of that, you and I today know who Peter is, know who Matthew is, we know who James is, we know who John is, but we don't know who this guy is. You know why? Because he had a different response. Notice Luke 9.59, and he said unto another, follow me. This guy could have been one of the 12. I mean, he could have been a Christian uh, 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 a Christian, just one of the, the, the founders of, of, of New Testament Christianity. The Lord Jesus Christ in the first century walks up to this guy and says, follow me. But he said, but he said, now you can see his problem. Before we even get into the story, you can see his problem in just the first four words that come out of his mouth. Jesus says, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first. The word suffer means allow. Jesus said, follow me. And you know what he says? Okay, but me first. Suffer me first. Allow me to do something first. He says, Lord, suffer me first. Now notice what he says. Now you, you say, well, before we get into what he says, let me just remind you. Because this guy says, suffer me first. Just Whenever God tells you to do something, the response should never be, okay, but me first. Wrong, wrong response already. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. The Bible says that in all things, he should have the preeminence. The Bible says that Jesus should be first. This guy says, okay, but me first. Me first. Suffer me first. Suffer me first. And then notice, Notice what he says. To go and bury my father. To go and bury my father. This guy makes a request. He said, can I go bury my father? Notice Jesus' response. But Jesus, Jesus said unto him, notice the response. Let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. Now right off the bat, that seems a little harsh, doesn't it? I mean, this guy says, let me go bury my father. And Jesus says, no deal. Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. He said, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. You say, what, what's going on here? What, what, what is this? Why does it seem like, I mean, it kind of seems like Jesus is being a little harsh with this guy. You know? 
Now, as you study the Bible, and as you read the Old Testament especially, you'll notice that God makes a big deal about properly burying his saints. I mean, you have an entire chapter in the Bible of Abraham, you know, burying his, his, his wife, Sarah. Throughout the Old Testament, a big deal is made about where Abraham is buried, where Isaac is buried, where Jacob is buried, where their wives are buried, that people would go back there. A big deal is made about the fact that Joseph, when he dies, he's taken out of Egypt and brought back into the promised land to be buried next to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. If you read First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you'll notice that a big deal is made about the kings and where they were buried. And it's often a dishonor when we're told that they were not buried with the kings in Jerusalem. So the Bible emphasizes the fact that we should respect, that we should have respect for our loved ones, that we should give them proper burials, that we should remember them, that we should respect them, that we should honor them. With that context in mind, that leads me to believe that this was, and Jesus knew it was, just an excuse. I mean, the question that I would be asking this guy, if he says, well, let me first bury my, my father, I, I'd be asking, well, it, when did your father die? Is your father even dead? Is this guy just saying, like, you know, my dad's pretty old, so just, like, when he dies and I bury him, then I'll follow you. Because it seems kind of odd to me, like, Jesus is out doing ministry, right? He, he just fed the 5,000. They're, they're healing people. They're, they're casting out devils. They're doing all these things. And then this guy is like, you know, Jesus like walks up to him and he's at this church, sir. I mean, he's ministering to these people. Jesus says, hey, follow me. And the guy's like, oh, I got to bury my dad. And it's like, was your dad dead? Like, what are you even doing here? You see what I'm saying? Like, like if your father died, wouldn't you be with your family? Wouldn't you be making preparations to bury him? But see, and I believe that the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit allowed this story to be put in the Bible, though it seems a little harsh, because here's the reality. The principle that Jesus is going to teach us, he gives us this extreme example. Because Jesus says, hey, follow me. The guy says, suffer me first to bury my father. And Jesus responds to him, let the dead bury their dead. Now, what does that phrase mean, let the dead bury their dead? Well, when Jesus says, let the dead, what he's referring to, that first dead, let the dead bury their dead, that first dead is referring to unsaved people. It's referring to those who are spiritually dead. It's the same idea as we read, you don't have to turn there, but Ephesians 2.1, where he says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. It's the same idea as Ephesians 2, 5, and when we were dead in sin. See, unsaved people, they are not quickened. Their spirit's not quickened. The word quickened means made alive. They are not alive spiritually. They are dead in their trespasses and sins. And Jesus looks at this guy who I don't even, I question that his dad's even dead. But Jesus looks at this guy because this guy, you know, he's like, I got a pretty good excuse. I've got a pretty good excuse, Jesus. I mean, I've got a great excuse. You know, it's funny how people always want to tell you how great their excuses are. I was, I was just reading a book recently on, on management, and there was a little, just a little funny story in there. But he said it was a true, it was a true story about a, a, an owner of a business who just got so sick and tired of his employees just showing up late. You know, because they just show up late so often, and they always had some great excuse. You know, he just made a list of like, uh, of, of all the excuses why someone's late. You know, my wife forgot to set the alarm. You know, whatever, all these excuses. And then when people were calling in late and they're trying to give me, he's like, just give me the number. Just give me the number. Just what, pick a number and just give it to me. I don't care. And by the way, you know, don't be late to work. Amen. And don't be late to church. Amen. And don't just, don't be that person who's just late everywhere. All right? That's not a good testimony. It's not good character. I don't even know why I'm bringing that up. But the point, oh, the point is this. Excuses. You know, I mean, isn't this a pretty good excuse? My dad died. I mean, you can only use that one once at, at work, you know? Why are you late? My dad died. Then the next day is like, my mom died. My grandma died. You're like, didn't your grandma die four weeks ago? I mean, this is what's going on. 
You say, what's the teaching? Go, go back to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Obviously, if his dad was dead, I believe that Jesus would have honored that. We see that throughout the Bible, that we are to love our loved ones, that we are to respect them, we are to honor them, we are to give them proper burials. That's found all throughout Scripture. So the fact that Jesus is telling this guy, let the dead bury their dead, kind of tells me that there's something else going on here. And what is it that's going on? See, Jesus emphasizes, look, you're telling me that you can't serve me, that you can't follow me, that you can't be a disciple of mine because you've got some secular reason, you've got some secular responsibility that is keeping you from serving me. You've got to deal with dead people. Well, you know what Jesus says? Let the dead bury the dead. He says, let the unsaved people deal with whatever the unsaved people are doing. Let the unsaved people deal with the unsaved people. He said, you've got a higher priority, and it is to go and preach the kingdom of God. You say, what's, what's, the, what's the lesson here? The first lesson is that people don't serve and they don't follow Jesus because of discomfort. But the second reason why people do not serve Jesus is because of distractions. They're distracted. See, this guy said, I've got to go bury my father. But what he really meant, and what the application really is, is, well, I've got to go to work. Why can't you be a soul winner? I've got to work. Really? You work 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Why, why can't you be faithful to church? Because of work. Because of sports. Because of this. Because of that. Because of whatever reason the dead world has given you and you're distracted. But Jesus' response to that is, let the dead bury the dead. And Jesus would often say this. He'd say comments like this. They asked him about money. He said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. You say, why don't people serve Jesus? Here's why. Why don't they follow Jesus? Because of discomfort and because of distractions. Go back to 2 Timothy 2. Are you there? Look at verse 4. Remember our, our example of a soldier? Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2, 4. Here's another, another something else that you, can't, that you have to understand if you're a soldier. No man, and the context is about a soldier, someone who's engaged in war, no man that warreth, that's the context, a soldier, no man that warreth, notice this word, entangledeth, entangledeth, you say, what does that word mean? It means to get involved in, to get trapped in, to get connected with, no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. What is the reason that some people cannot follow Jesus? Here's why. They're entangled with the world. They're too focused. They're distracted with dead people. They can't serve Jesus because they're distracted with sports. They're playing sports with a bunch of dead people. Well, you know what Jesus would say? Jesus would say, let the dead bury the dead. Jesus would say, let the dead play sports with the dead. Jesus would say, let the dead watch the dead play sports, but you go preach the kingdom of God. See, the reason people don't serve and follow Jesus is because they're not willing to be discomforted. And it's because they're distracted. They're distracted with the things of this world. They're distracted with the dead. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. But go thou and preach the kingdom of God. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has chosen him to be a soldier. And listen to me, we live in this world, and we have to live in this world, and I understand that. And you have to go to work, and you have to provide for your family, and you've got responsibilities and things that we have to do in this world. But listen to me very carefully. If you're going to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to have to learn to live in this world and not be of this world. Amen. Go to work. Make money. But don't make your life about work and money. Have relationships and do hobbies and have fun things, but don't make your life about those relationships and those hobbies and those things. Don't get entangled with the world. I've got all these things I've got to do with dead people. Well, let the dead bury their dead. Go thou and preach the kingdom of God. You're there in 2 Timothy 2. Look at 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, look at verse 10. 
2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, the Bible says, For demons have forsaken me. For demons have forsaken me. Notice what Paul says. Having loved this. Don't, don't miss this word. Present world. See, Demas forsook Paul because he was in love with the dead. He was interested in the world of the dead. Jesus is the God of the living. Let the dead bury their dead. Let the dead deal with the dead. Don't get distracted with the dead. See, this man says, let me go bury my father. And Jesus responds, there are more important things than temporal things. The things of this world are things of the dead. He said, let the dead bury their dead. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life. Demons have forsaken me, having loved this present world. Go to Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12. I'm not sure if you kept your place in Hebrews, but go, go back to Hebrews if you would. Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, look at verse 1. Hebrews 12, 1, the Bible says, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, notice these words, let aside every weight. Now, the, the, the illustration here in Hebrews 12 is that there's different illustrations that kind of illustrate for us the Christian life. We've been looking at Paul's illustrations of, of warfare and being a soldier. But Paul, in he, or Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, I think it's Paul, but the writer of Hebrews uses the illustration of running a race. Let us run the race that is set before us. The Christian life is a race that we're running. And he tells us here, wherefore seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, he says, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Notice that here we're told that if you're going to run a race, you need to set aside the sin which does so easily beset us. Any sin that is going to distract you from following the Lord Jesus Christ, you need to lay it aside. But notice he says, not only, you, you would think that's obvious, we got to lay aside every sin that does so easily beset us, but then he also says, we, we got to lay aside every weight. You say, well, what's a weight? A weight's different than a sin. A, a weight's just a distraction. See, when you're, when you're running a race, you, you try to run as light as possible, Right? You don't, you don't run a race wearing a big old backpack and a big old jacket with a hood and com, you know, combat boots. You try to wear light tennis shoes, light clothing. Why? Because you're running the race. You don't want to be running carrying some big weight. Well, in the Christian life, there are some things, you see, we have to lay aside the sin that does so easily beset us, but there are some things that are maybe not a sin, but they're a weight. And you, you need to understand that. And by the way, let me just go a step further. There are some things that may not be a weight to other people, but they're a weight to you. And if when you identify that, when you identify, you know, maybe this isn't a sin. If it's a sin, you need to lay it aside. But you say, well, this thing in my life, this distraction in my life, this thing that's taken up so much time, this thing that's taken up so much of my energy, this thing that's taken up so many of my resources, maybe it's not a sin, but maybe if it's distracting you from actually following the Lord Jesus Christ, if it's keeping you from reading your Bible and praying and being faithful to church and being a soul winner and walking with God, then maybe it's a weight that you need to set aside. And you may have to realize that maybe other people, maybe other people can do that, but you can't because for you it's a weight. For you, it gets out of control. For you, you know, that's why I often tell guys, be careful with hobbies. I'm not against hobbies. I hope you have hobbies. I, I like hobbies. I don't have any hobbies. I don't, you know, you're my hobby. All right? You, you take up way too much of my time for me to have some hobby, you know. But, but I hope you have hobbies. But when your hobby starts keeping you from going to Wednesday night church, you need to get rid of that hobby. When your hobby is starting to mess up your marriage, you need to get rid of the hobby. You need to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. We need to become focused. Why is it that people don't follow Jesus? It's because they're not willing to be discomforted. It's because they are distracted. And look, whatever your excuse, you say, I got a really good excuse. You don't have a better excuse than this guy. I mean, this guy's excuse is pretty good. I've got to bury my father. 
And Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead. Go back to Luke chapter 9. Let me give you the third reason tonight. We're looking at reasons why people don't follow Jesus. What are they? Number one, discomfort. What are they? Number two, distraction. Number three, Luke 9.61. Now we have a different story, a different guy. Luke 9.61. And by the way, it doesn't look like the last guy started following Jesus. Because you get to verse 61 and, and another also said, there's another guy, Lord, I will follow thee. But let me first, again, you got a problem there. Don't, don't ever come to Jesus and say, but let me first. Amen. Me first. No, you're already wrong. By the way, how can you say Lord, which means you're the boss, you're in charge, whatever you say goes. How can you say, Lord, let me first? doesn't work that way. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first Go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. This guy says, look, that other guy, that was funny, Jesus. I mean, his his dad's not even dead. His dad's like actually in pretty good health. I'm not sure what he's talking about. He said, me, on the other hand, I just want to go say farewell. It's not like I want to go home and wait till my 55-year-old dad dies. I, I just want to go first and bid them farewell, which are at home, at my house. Look at Jesus' response. Luke 9, 62. And Jesus said unto him, No man having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. It seems to me like Jesus is pretty harsh. You know, why is Jesus being so mean? Because this is serious. We're not playing games. The Christian life is not a game. Well, I want to serve Jesus as long as we're having fun. Who told, who told you life was about fun? See, see, we live in this American culture, and I'm here to tell you something. You've been lied to. Your mama lied to you. Your daddy lied to you. Your public school teacher lied to you. Life is not about fun. Life is not about relaxing. Life is not about any of that. Now, every once in a while, you get to have fun. Praise God. Every once in a while, you get to relax. Praise God. Every once in a while, you get to take a little break. Praise God. But get this out of your head that life's about having fun. Life is not about having fun. You say, what's life about? God. It's about God. It's about serving God. It's about loving God. It's about preaching the kingdom of God. And if you get to have fun in the process, praise God for it. But your job is to endure hardness as a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. So this guy says, hey, can I just like go say bye to my parents? Now, you've got to ask the question. Go, go to 1 Kings, if you would, 1 Kings chapter 19. If you find the one and two books, they're all clustered together. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles. I hope you young people listen to me tonight. Life is not about having fun. Life is not about relaxing. Life is not about just having as much fun as possible. And if you live a life like that, you'll be miserable. Or if I could just have millions of dollars and relax. Oh, really? Like all the movie stars, like all the, uh, you know, singers and and, and all the the famous people out there that are all what? Killing themselves with drugs. Because their lives are so fulfilled. Because they're so happy. They're so happy, they've got to take drugs and kill themselves. That's how happy they are. You say, what's wrong with going to say goodbye to your family. And I'll be honest with you, nothing. There's nothing in the world wrong with saying goodbye to your family. I mean, if you're going to go on a big trip, missions trip or something, you should go and say goodbye to your family. And in fact, the Bible, I'm going to prove to you there's nothing wrong with saying goodbye to your family because another guy made the exact same request in the Old Testament and And it was fine, and there was no problem with it. Notice 1 Kings 19. Look at verse 19. 1 Kings 19, 19. So he, this is Elijah the prophet, remember him? Departed thence and found Elisha. Elisha is going to become the servant of Elijah. He's going to minister unto Elijah. He's going to become Elijah's servant, second-hand man. And when Elisha dies, excuse me, when Elijah gets taken away, 
Elisha is going to take his place as the prophet of the nation of Israel. So he departed thence and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. By the way, and uh, this, was, this, was, uh, this was something that one of the guys brought up in, in the men's preaching night, but uh, every, every time that God finds someone, every time that God is looking for someone to use, notice he's always looking for someone who's working. Amen. I mean, this guy, Elisha was a hard worker. Look at this guy. Don't, don't, miss, don't miss this. Who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. I mean, I would pay money to have this put in the Bible about me. I mean, Elisha's just like this awesome guy. He's plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he, notice, with the 12. Okay, I'm not, I don't want to make a big deal about that, but just, just realize, Elisha's out there plowing with these oxen, and the Bible says that like he was plowing with the 12. Like he got into the yoke with the oxen, and he's plowing with this ox. Man, that's, that is incredible. That is a tough guy. Amen. That's not a guy who's just sitting around doing nothing. Who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he with the 12, and Elijah passed by him and cast his mantle upon him. Verse 20, and he, Elisha, left the oxen and ran after Elijah. Elijah, when Elijah puts his mantle upon Elisha, he's calling him to follow, he's pretty much saying, follow me. And by the way, when Elisha's taken up to, uh, in, in, the, in the chariots of fire, in the whirlwind, remember that Elisha drops his mantle onto Elijah. Eli- Elisha takes up the mantle of Elijah. So there's a connection here to when he was first called. Verse 20, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me, notice the question that Elisha makes. Elisha's a good guy. Notice the request that Elisha makes. Let me, I pray thee, kiss my father and my mother and then I will follow thee. Isn't that exactly what this other guy is asking? Elisha is asking Elijah, I'm going to follow you, but will you allow me to go kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow thee? And he, Elijah, said unto him, Elisha, the last part of verse 20, go back again, for what have I done to thee? Now, look, there's so much here, I wish I could develop it, but let me, let me just, just throw this in there. Elijah's response Because Elisha says, hey, I will follow you, but can I go say goodbye to my parents? And Elijah's response, for those of you that are leaders or that want to be leaders in the future, I love his response because his response to Elisha is go back again for what have I done to thee? And what Elijah is saying to Elisha is that I'm not going to ask you to do something or sacrifice something because I've not yet earned the right to ask you to sacrifice. Look, as leaders, we need to be careful that we earn the right. That we, you know, as a pastor, there are some of you, and God bless you, praise God for you, that I feel like I could, I could, I could go to you and, and, and ask for anything, and, and you would do everything as, as, as your pastor, you would try to help me in any way that, that you could. And, 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 I, and I praise God for that, but part of that is because I've, I've been there for you, Amen. and I, I've earned the right to maybe ask you to sacrifice a little bit. Amen. But the problem that a lot of young leaders have is they show up, and they want to start t- telling their new wife, or telling their new, you know, they get a promotion at work, and they want to start making everybody who is underneath them, like, make all these sacrifices, but you've not yet earned the right. First, like we talked about this morning, you've got to serve people. You've got to help people you got to be there for people. And once you've proven yourself that you're not in it for yourself, that you're trying to help people and love people and, 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 and be there for people, then you could ask them to make sacrifices, to, to, uh, to make sacrifices for you. So here Elijah's saying, Elijah's saying, I'm not going to say no to you because I haven't even earned the right to tell you you can't go tell your parents goodbye. That's what's going on here, if you're interested. Verse 21. And he returned back from him. This is Elisha meaning he left Elijah and took a yoke of oxen and slew them and boiled their flesh with the instruments of oxen. Notice he, he takes the instruments that he was plowing with and he uses those as a sacrifice and gave unto the people and they did eat. Look at the last part of verse 21. Then he, Elisha, arose after he went home, said goodbye to his parents. He kissed his father. He kissed his mother. He said goodbye. Notice he showed respect to his parents. Then he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. So here we have an example. Go back to Luke 9. 
Where a man says, can I go say goodbye to my family, Elisha, who's a great man of God, and Elijah says, go for it. And he went and said goodbye to his family, and then the Bible says that he arose and went after Elijah and ministered unto him. But then we come to Luke 9, and this guy says, let me first go bid them farewell, which are at my house. And Jesus says, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You have the exact same situation, two different responses. You say, what is it? What's the difference? The difference was the person's heart. See, Elisha was not making an excuse. He just wanted to go say goodbye to his parents. And then he was going to follow, Jesus, follow Elijah, and Elijah said, go for it. This guy says, let me go say farewell to my family. And Jesus says, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. You say, well, why would Jesus say that? What, what's the difference between this guy? Here's the difference. Jesus knew that if this guy leaves to go say goodbye to his family, he's not coming back. That's the difference. Elisha just wanted to go say goodbye to his family. And then he followed Elijah and he became a great prophet of God. But Jesus knew. See, Jesus responds. Because this guy says, can I go say bye to my family? And he says to him, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, this guy was already having second thoughts. He's already like, I don't know, do I actually want to do this? Maybe I should go say, maybe I should go say goodbye to my family. And Jesus, his mind is, hey, if this guy leaves, he's not coming back. He's not coming back. You say, what, what is the lesson here? We saw, number one, that people don't follow Jesus because of discomfort. Number two, people don't follow Jesus because of distraction. Here's number three. People don't follow Jesus because they're disloyal. So what do you mean they're disloyal? Here's what I mean. They're more loyal to other people than they are to Jesus. Go to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 13. Deuteronomy 13, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 13. See, this guy had, he had these relationships. But Jesus knew something. Jesus knew this guy is more loyal to his relationships than he is to me. And if he leaves to go say goodbye to his mom and dad, he's not coming back. He's staying home. He's a mama's boy. So Jesus responds, look, man, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. That's not a salvation verse, by the way. That's a discipleship verse. You, you, you say, I want, to be, I want to serve in the kingdom of God. Well, you've got to be fit for the kingdom of God. And you're not fit while you're, while you're looking back. See, you say, what, what are you trying to say? Here's what I'm trying to say. If you're going to follow Jesus and be a disciple, you've got to be more loyal to Jesus than anyone else, Amen. than any other person. What about my family? Including your family. What about my friends? Including your friends. What about my job? Let the dead bury their dead. Deuteronomy 13. Look at it. Now look, Deuteronomy 13 is an extreme example. I'm kind of following the pattern of Jesus. Jesus used this really extreme example of let the dead bury their dead. I'm going to give you another extreme example. Deuteronomy 13.6. Deuteronomy 13.6. If thy brother, the son of thy mother, or thy son, or thy daughter, or the wife of thy bosom, or thy friend. Aren't these all people we love? I mean, your brother, your son, your daughter, your wife, your friend, which is as thine own soul. Notice it. Entice thee secretly, saying, Let us go and serve other gods, which thou hast not known, thou nor thy fathers, Namely, the gods of the people which are round about you, nigh unto thee, or, or, or far from thee, from, the ones, uh, from one end of the earth, even unto the other end of the earth. Look at verse 8. Thou shalt not consent unto him. What, what is the Bible saying? Look, and look, this is Old Testament. This is old, the, the Old Testament nation of Israel where God had made a law against serving other gods. And you know what God said? God said, if your brother, if your son... If your daughter, if your wife, if thy friend, which is as thine own soul. I mean, he said, if the closest people to you 
try to pull you away from serving God. So how should I respond? Verse 8, thou shalt not consent. Thou shalt not consent unto him. Neither shalt thou spare. Neither shalt thou conceal him. But thou shalt surely kill him. I told you this was an extreme example. But in the Old Testament, God put people to death for worshiping other gods. But thou shalt surely kill him. Thine hand shall be first upon him to put him to death. And afterwards, the hand of all the people. And thou shalt stone him with stones that he die. Because he hath sought to thrust thee away from the Lord thy God. Which brought thee out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. And all Israel shall hear and fear and shall do no more any such wickedness. You know, we ought to obviously love our families and, 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 and we do love our families. But if your family tries to thrust you away from serving God, you better put God first. Amen. And the problem with this guy, go to Matthew if you would, Matthew chapter 10. The problem with this guy is that he says, let me go say goodbye to my parents. Let me go say goodbye to my family. Let me go say goodbye to my household. And Jesus is saying, like, thinking, if you go say bye to mama, if you go say bye to your brother, they're going to be like, what are you doing? Don't serve Jesus. Don't, that's a cult. What are you, you're going to start knocking doors now? No, don't. So Jesus says, no man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. He said, look, the, and the idea, by the way, that he's giving here, the illustration is that of plowing. Obviously, today, people use technology to plow, when you're talking about plowing a field. But in those days, we saw Elisha, people would manually plow. Elisha had these 12 oxen, and he's plowing a field. When you plow a field, you have to plow it straight. And Jesus was saying, no, nobody's out in the field plowing a field and, and looking back. That's not going to work. You say, why? Because if you're looking back, you're distracted and you're not plowing straight. The, 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 the idea is, look, if you're going to serve Jesus, you've got, you got, you got to not be looking back. Amen. I have decided to follow Jesus. No looking back. No looking back. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Don't look back. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. So what if I have to make a decision between Jesus and my family? You better choose, your, you better choose Jesus. Matthew 10, 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. One of these days I'm going to preach that passage on Christmas Day. Think that not, not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. Look at verse 35. For I am come to set a man at variance. The word variance means at odds against his father and the daughter against his mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. Now, maybe you live in, you, maybe you're a second generation Christian like, like I am, and you have the wonderful privilege of having your family be saved and, and, and serve God and praise God for that. And I hope you, you have that, and you say, I don't have that. Then you change the family tree and you get a Christian heritage so that your children don't have to do the sacrifice that you're making right now. It's hard. It's hard. My family doesn't want me to serve God. It's hard. Endure hardness. If you say, I, I, I want to serve God, but my, but my family. Hey, the reason people don't serve God is because they're disloyal. They put other relationships before Jesus. They put their family and their friends and their jobs and their careers. By the way, let me let you know a little secret. You'll be a better husband if you put Jesus before your wife. You'll be a better wife if you put Jesus before your husband. You'll be a better parent if you put Jesus before your children. If you're a Christian first, everything else will fall into place. Amen. The problem is when we don't put Jesus first and then we got all these problems. You're out of alignment. Put Jesus first. Put Jesus first. Go to Hebrews. We're going to finish up. We'll finish up. Hebrews chapter number 11. We see these three reasons why people don't follow Jesus. Three reasons. Why don't they follow Jesus? What stopping, let, let's, let's make the application. What's stopping you 
from being fully committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you the reasons why people don't follow Jesus. Discomfort. They don't want to be uncomfortable. Distractions. They're too busy with the dead. Disloyalty. They put other people before Jesus, other relationships before Jesus. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 14, notice what the Bible says. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful, no man looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. If they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. See, we have these three guys. All had the opportunity to follow Jesus. None of them did. None of them did. Why? Because they were mindful of the country from whence they came out. And they sought opportunity to have returned. So you better decide. Am I willing to be discomfort, uncomfortable, in discomfort? Am I willing to be, to give up the distractions? Am I willing to be loyal, not disloyal, but loyal only to the Lord Jesus Christ? And then you might, you might be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for these stories you've given us to study and to learn from. And Lord, I pray you'd help us. I pray you'd help us to make discipleship a priority, following you a priority. Help us to be willing to embrace being uncomfortable and discomfort in our lives, endure hardness. Help us, Lord, not to be distracted. Help us to have this attitude that says, let the dead bury their dead. Lord, help us not to be disloyal allowing other relationships to come before our relationship with you, allowing others to draw us away from you. And Lord, help us to make a decision every day to die daily and to be an active follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. We love you in the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen.